I'm deeply humbled and grateful for the opportunity to be here. I'm thankful to your pastor for giving up his pulpit again. I know how painful that is uh, when he's itching to be up here himself. Uh, but I'm, I'm really thankful to be here and to have this chance to share with you. And I'm, I'm very excited, actually, this morning at 4.30 with my cup of tea. And I was getting in the Word and just got so excited about as the Lord met with me. And uh, uh, I've been looking forward to sharing with you. And I want to say a few things uh, by way of preface before I get into what I have to say and first is that you don't know me and I don't know you, so I, I just kind of want to clear the air of a couple of things that when I'm preaching to you this morning, and I'm not saying this just to sound modest, I am just as much preaching to myself. In fact, what I'm going to share with you is a lot of just the distillation of what the Lord has been speaking to my heart lately. And uh, I'm sure that's true for many preachers. There's a a story uh, about the 20th century's most famous violinist was a guy named Yasha Heifetz. And uh, he was an absolute perfectionist and just a consummate musician. And at one point in his career, his uh, piano accompanist was a guy named Milton Kay. And Heifetz gave him this piece of music that he wanted him to do uh, with just one run-through before they actually did it on stage. And it was an extremely difficult piece of music. And the guy said, I, I don't think I can do this. And Haifa said, yes, you can, and you will. And, uh, and so they, they ran through it, and the guy did it perfectly. And he was like, Phew. you know, Heifetz came over to him and said, see, I, I knew you could do it. If, if I didn't think you could have, couldn't have done it, I, I wouldn't have asked you to. And he said, by the way, if you think I'm hard on you, know that I'm twice as hard on myself. So if I'm hard on you this morning, know that, I'm just as hard or harder on myself. Uh, and I'm not trying to manipulate your guilt feelings or anything like that because you're not guilty. You, you, you're you're uh, righteous people, as we've heard this morning. We're all righteous in Him. And uh, I'm here, like Peter says, I always want to remind you of these things, even though I know that you know them and you're firmly established in the truth. Uh, I'm not going to tell you anything you haven't heard before. I'm not going to teach you the Word of God. I'm going to leave that in the capable hands of your pastor and people like Aaron who are doing a wonderful job. Uh, but you can think of me as one who is coming in from the hinterlands and reporting to you, appealing to you, exhorting you, reminding you, uh, stirring you up, arousing you, Perhaps making you a little bit uncomfortable. I hope so. I think that's my sacred duty as one who has now been gone overseas for seven years and uh, kind of have a different perspective on things than I, than I used to uh, as a boy growing up here in Calhoun County and then as a small town uh, guy in Tennessee for 20 years. Uh, and another thing I'm going to be doing that's a little bit unusual for me uh, uh, is that I'm going to be jumping around a lot. I'm, I don't have one passage of Scripture that we're going to just camp out on. That's not normally the way I do it. That's not the way I was trained to do it. But uh, that's sort of the way things just came together. Uh, 
And at times it may appear that my thoughts are a bit disjointed, but I think the Lord's going to put it all together. Uh, it could all come under the several different titles. I, I haven't, I'm not really big on titles, but just to kind of package it all together, uh, you might say that I am going to share with you a message which could come under the heading of get in the game, enter the fray. Lately, the Lord has given me two images that I want to share with you. One is from my wife and her experience, and one is from my, my own past. Uh, the other day, we were on the plane coming over, and Fran was reading this book that I had read earlier. Uh, it was a memoirs of, a, of an Afghan lady and her growing up, her childhood in Afghanistan. Horrible uh, suffering and just sadness and just just terrible tragedies and war and hardship and Fran was just beginning the book and had gotten 40 or 50 pages into the book and at one point she folded the book closed and sort of said in a reflective way you know as a young person growing up in America I learned to turn my face away from the realities of what was going on in the world and I'd always thought that if I just kind of ignored it and pretended that it wasn't there, it, it really wouldn't affect me. Uh, and she said, I always felt like my freedom, part of my freedom, was the freedom to ignore. I thought that was quite honest of her, but I had to admit that that was very true for me also as a youngster. Uh, so... That first image is, in my mind, is somebody just turning their face away from what's happening, from what's going on in the world. It's easy to do for us here in rich America. Very easy to do. Unfortunately, it's easy to do even with the people in our own, in our own Judea, much less our Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. The other image uh, that, so, well, first, I want to ask you a question. Are you turning your face away? The other image I had was almost like a dream I had one day. I'm not sure how this picture came to me, but I saw myself as a young person in high school on the football team. When I, was, when I played uh, junior high and high school football, the only time I was happy was when I was out there on the field playing. I didn't like to stand on the sidelines. I wanted to be out there in the battle. Now, there were guys, I knew this one particular guy one year who he was just so thrilled that he made the team. He made the final cut. He was on the team. He got issued a uniform. He was, he was just happy to be there. And when he could stand on the sideline with the team and be hear that cheering crowd he he was thrilled uh but i i wanted to be in the game i wanted to be out there getting my brains knocked out trying to knock somebody else's brains out getting the get in the violent battle uh get in the fray uh so another question i have for you is in god's kingdom work are you on the sidelines or are you in the fray? Are you in the battle? 
I hope you'll be honest with yourself in asking yourself these questions. Uh, if you have to answer yes to one or both of them, whether now or at the end of the message as the Lord speaks to you, I hope you'll get, I hope you'll listen carefully to, to what I have to say. It's time for us to get serious about walking with God. It's not going to happen automatically. It's not going to happen accidentally. It takes a purposeful decision every day to enter into His presence, to listen to His voice, and to obey unhesitatingly, unflinchingly what He says. Uh, God has made an investment in our lives. And he expects a return on his investment. That's abundantly clear. That's in the book. We'll perhaps look at some passages later about that. A verse that has been echoing through my mind lately is uh, from a verse you've all heard many times. It's from Second Chronicles. It's the verse that says, The eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the earth. To see so that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Another question I have for you this morning and for, and for me is, when the Lord's eyes light on my heart, what does he see? That's, that's a tough one. Lately, he's been showing me some things that he sees that aren't real pleasing to him. And he does that, not because he's mad at us or uh, wants to lower the boom on us, but because he loves us and he's always wanting to take us to the next level. In a way, God is never satisfied. He's never satisfied until we're like Jesus, which we'll never be on this earth, only when we, when we see him. But he's always trying to stretch us, always testing us, always taking us a little higher, always making us a little bit uncomfortable, always stirring us up, always showing us things in our heart that aren't right. Uh, but he does it because of his love. And if we're not rooted and grounded in his love, then we don't have a basis with which to go forward. In, in, otherwise, we'll feel condemned. When we come before the Lord, this is what I struggle with for years. When I come before the Lord and He starts putting His finger on areas of uh, lack or sin or uh, not even sin, but areas where I'm falling short and I'm not maybe living up to what I should, uh, I would just feel so condemned and I would just start wallowing in self-pity and I would just, you know. And God was not after that. In fact, he, he says, get over that, Sam. That's not why I'm showing you those things. I want you to repent and let's, let's move on. But we'll talk more about that. The context of that verse where the Lord says, uh, his eyes, the eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro around the earth, just to remind you, because you probably don't remember, there was this king, Asa of uh, Judah, and he was making alliances with another king, uh, of a foreign country to help him in his fighting with the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. And the uh, prophet who came and spoke to him said, you're relying on your treaties 
with this other king. You're not relying on, on God. So, therefore, you're going to have nothing but trouble. You're going to have wars from now on out. Well, Asa, unfortunately, didn't repent when he heard that. He just got mad. And uh, then later in his life, he developed health problems. And uh, even then, he went to the doctors. And the Lord said, you're relying on the doctors. You're not relying on me. The Lord convicted me of that not too many weeks ago when uh, I came to the realization that the stuff that I was taking for my cancer, which was diagnosed last March, was not working, or I was unsure it was working, and unsure if it was working, and I, I had had one round of treatment with stuff that I thought was going to be the answer. I kind of went this alternative route rather than going the traditional medical route of, of uh, radiation or surgery, and I had hoped this was going to be the answer. And uh, it worked for a while, but then it started destroying my gut. So I, I ended up in the hospital and it didn't, you know, I had to quit that. And then another thing I started, and I was unsure, is this working? And the Lord said, uh, and so I, I kind of began to think, gee, you know, these things that I was really hoping were going to be a quick fix against <coughs> cancer, aren't working what if what if you know what if what if what if and the lord said you're relying on all this stuff rather than looking to me as your healer aren't you i said yes lord you're right i repent and uh since then i've been very aware of of, of looking to him as my healer uh no matter what happens so another question to all of us this morning is what are you relying on in your life? Are you relying on your insurance policies, your retirement plan, your good job? Are you relying on Bush to defeat terrorism? Or are you, is your heart completely his? You know, uh, D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, heard a man say to him one time, I think it was the guy who led him to the Lord and then subsequent, subsequently discipled him. He said, you know, the world has never seen, or the world has not yet seen what God can do through a man whose heart is completely his. And when Moody heard that, he purposed in his heart, I'm going to be that man. And he he changed the course of history. His fruit still continues down to today. And uh, God is looking for those whose heart is completely His. Okay, let's get in the Scriptures a little bit. What is it that God is doing in the world today? What is He about? What is His agenda? We could frame an answer to that in several different ways, but let's look for an answer in a couple of Scripture passages. First, in Psalm 2. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand. And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord 
and against his anointed. Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. But as for me, God the Father now speaking, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Now, God the Son speaking, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son, lest He become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled, and how blessed are all who take refuge in Him. This is really, you know, we talk about what worldview we have. This is kind of God's worldview. You know, he sees the nations in an uproar, in a rage, the, the rebellion, the, the kings and the people plotting against him and his people. And believe me, there are many nations where the government people sit in the back smoke-filled rooms specifically plotting about what can we do about these Christians here. That's happening. Uh, and God, of course, has, has uh, taken care of that. And so what he's doing in terms of Psalm 2 is he is giving to Jesus the nations as his inheritance. God's heart is for the nations. And he says to Jesus, it's amazing that we have this conversation among the Godhead here. And Jesus said that uh, his anointed said... The, the Father has said to me, Ask me, and I will give the nations as your inheritance. And it struck me just this morning, when, do we have a record anywhere in Scripture of when Jesus asked the Father for the nations? And I thought, you know, John 17, when Jesus prayed, look at what he says there. It's amazing. If you look at it, with a view of, of uh, Psalm 2 in mind at the first of the, of the chapter. Jesus is on the night before He is crucified. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. Even as You gave Him authority over all mankind that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. That sounds a lot like asking for the nations as his inheritance to me. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. And now glorify me together with yourself, Father, with the glory with which, with the glory which I had with you before the world was, glorify me now with the glory that I had with you before the world was. Now let's turn over to uh, 
Well, we're already in John, so I'll flip back just a few pages to John chapter 11. This is a passage that Fran shared with me the other day. She didn't realize it at the time that it fit right in with what was kind of percolating in my own mind. Uh, in verse 47, this is right following uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, of course. And in verse 47, we see the, the nations raging, so to speak. We see the rulers getting together and plotting. What are we going to do about this man? He's upsetting everything. If we keep letting him go on, everybody's going to believe in him. And we're going to lose control. We're going to lose our nation. What are we going to do about that? And Caiaphas, the high priest, stood up. And, and in verse 49, he says, you people don't know, you don't know nothing. You don't know what you're talking about. Verse 50, Nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. Now, this he did not say on his own initiative. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation. And here's what I want you to see, verse 52. And not for the nation only, but that he might also gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. The scattered children of God. I love that phrase. So, what is God's agenda in this world? Using this passage and using Psalm 2 to frame our answer, we can say this. God is gathering into one all the scattered children of God while He is giving the nations as the inheritance to King Jesus and thus filling the earth with His glory. That's God's agenda today. That's what's going on in the world. Now, the next question is, where do you and I fit in that agenda? And are we on the sidelines or are we in the fray? Are we in the game? Are we in the battle? Are we out there spilling our bloods and guts, blood and guts? Uh, or are we comfortably on the sidelines, turning our face away, not really wanting to be bothered? Where do you fit in this kingdom agenda? Where do I fit in this kingdom agenda? You know, Fran, we were talking last night, and she said, you know, just the fact that we're missionaries doesn't mean squat in terms of the daily walk with God. It's still a matter of getting up every day, going into His presence, listening to His voice, and, and following Him. You know, and if we don't do that, we can be doing, we can be out there, we can be doing the deal, but it can just be all wood, hay, and straw. It can be all just a bunch of religious activity. But you know, God has, Jesus in, in, in John 17 again, He says, Father, I've given them Your Word. So God has given us His Word He's given us His Spirit who, who, whose presence is with us always. He indwells us. He lives in us. And He's given us His glory. He's given us His glory. Jesus said the same glory that the Father gave Him, He, 
he gives to us. Now that's, that's a mind-boggling thought. That's even more mind-boggling than the size of the ark, which we talked about this morning, which is pretty incredible. Did you know that you, even as you sit here this morning, are the manifest presence of the glory of God? And I am too. There have been times when I've especially been riding on the bus. I ride the bus a lot in Athens. It's driving a car there is a nightmare, especially when you're having to go downtown. And uh, There have been times when I've been kind of down on things and just woe is me and having a good little pity party and just feeling sorry for myself and or, or just generally been out of shape and just kind of moping around and on the bus, you know, looking at all these other people who are just as sad as I am just and I and I sometimes say what's the difference between me and and that guy there you know if you could if you look at our countenance you probably wouldn't see much difference and several times the Lord has, has rebuked me and said son hold your head up high you're a child of God you're the you've got the glory of God you've got the spirit of God indwelling you and here you are moping around come on I want to I want you to uh be the reflection of my glory. So, you know, that's, that's in, in one way of looking at it, in, in simple terms, that's where we fit into God's agenda. Somebody prayed this morning. It may have been a pastor. Uh, I can't remember who it was. But we, we, we share Christ through our words and our lives. Uh, you know, we, we proclaim, yeah, through our words, but through our lives. We are the glory of God in this earth. We are His ambassadors. We are His emissaries. We're His uh, ones sent forth into the fray. As we, as we read in the uh, Great Commission, we are sent forth in His authority. He has all authority and uh, he gives us that authority as we go forth. We are sent forth in his authority, rooted and grounded in his love. His promised presence with us at all times, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So, are you in the game? Have you... Have you joined in the battle? Or are you just glad to be on the team? You're just happy to suit up and watch other people out there in the battle. Are you turning your face away? Are you aware of what's going on in the world? God gathering His scattered children? Are you aware of the nations that are coming apart at the seams and refugees by the millions are streaming out of them and God is harvesting those souls? Uh, having received the Word of God, having received His Spirit, are you now going your own way? Or are you... Uh, Dying daily and walking with Him? Or are you choked with the worries and the riches and the 
pleasures of life, bringing no fruit to maturity. Think with me a minute about the uh, letters to the seven churches. I told you we're going to hop around. This is kind of a hodgepodge. It all fits together in my mind anyway, so (laughs) I hope it does in yours. I think the letters to the seven churches in Revelation are a really neglected portion of Scripture. Uh, I would challenge your pastor, if he hasn't preached on those in a while, to to dig into there and, and preach those. Well, they preach really great. But, you know, some people view those as seven stages of church history. That may be true. There may be some truth in that. Some people view it as uh, seven types of churches that are on the earth at any given time. And that's probably some truth in that as well. But one thing in common that all of those letters have, there's two things in common that they all have. They all begin with the Lord saying, I know. I know. So when he... When his eyes light on your heart and he's looking, of course, we know all the doctrine of omniscience. Of course, God knows everything, but personalize that. I know. I know all about you. He knows all about that guy in Colorado who just fell spectacularly from grace, if he did, indeed. Uh, He knows all about us collectively as a body here. And he, he loves us desperately. But he also wants the very best for us in terms of his kingdom agenda. And he knows all about you. Now, sometimes that's comforting. Sometimes that's terrifying. Uh, when, if he were to write this church a letter like he did to Sardis and Smyrna and Philadelphia and all those other churches, what do you think he would say? What kind of things do you think? How do you think he would commend you? How do you think he would say, but I have this against you? He said that to five out of the seven churches. Uh, When I read those letters, I'm amazed at at what I read. You know, the church at Ephesus, for goodness sake, they were, you know, strong. They, they held to the right doctrine and they, they, they you know, didn't allow for these false teachers and they persevered and they worked hard. And, and, but yet Jesus said, if you don't get your act together, I'm going to come and take away your lampstand. I'm going to come and do you in because you've forgotten the most important thing. You've left your first love. What would he say to, to this church? But then what would he say to you personally if he were to write you a letter? I'm sure that he he would assure you in wonderful words of his deep love for you. That's where it all has to start. If we're not operating out of that, then we're 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 missing it. For years, I, I hate to admit this, but for years I did not really believe that God loved me. I, I really didn't. I, I did doctrinally, but experientially, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't buy it. I couldn't accept it. And only within the last 10, 12 years or so has that become more and more of a reality, and it grows daily. But what, what would the Lord be saying to you if he were to write a letter to you? Recently, the Lord, 
he didn't write a letter to me, but he, he spoke to me through his word and in my own heart as I was meditating on some things. And, and he, he pointed out some things that, uh, in a sense, he was saying, I have this against you. I'll read you my dirty laundry list here in just a minute, but I'll, I'll make you wait for that for just a second. Don't worry, it's not too specific. But uh, it, it was specific enough to let me know I need, to get, I need to get serious about these things. What things do you need to get serious about today in your relationship with God, in your daily kingdom work? Because you are a kingdom worker. You are in the ministry, every one of you. Every one of you. Some of you aren't getting paid for it like some of us are, but you have normal jobs, but you're in the ministry. Absolutely. Turn back to Luke chapter 8. This is the parable of the sower. And Jesus very graciously gives us the uh, interpretation of it. And uh, we won't look at the first two types of seed. Hopefully none of those uh, pertain to, those don't pertain to any of us in here. But look at verse 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go their own way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it on a bed, under a bed, but puts it on a lampstand in order that those who come may see the light. Remember, you're the glory of God. You, you are the manifest presence of the glory of God. Jesus gave it to you. It's in the book. It says that. Do you believe that? You know, a lot of this stuff is so amazing. It's so unbelievable that we read it and we nod to it, but we really don't believe it because if we did we would be having more of an impact on our culture and our country than we are. Now, that's a whole other message, but I won't go into that. But what, what, is, what is the American church, how is the American church impacting this country? Uh, I'll let you just work on that one. Nothing is hidden that shall not become evident, nor anything secret that shall not be known and come to light. Therefore, take care how you listen. I said there was one thing, two things in common to all the letters to the seven churches. One is Jesus says, I know. The other one is, he ends every letter the same exact way. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it, there's, a, there's a call for an individual response within the corporate body there. He who has an ear. Who's listening? God is speaking. God is speaking always. He's speaking through his word. He's speaking through your co-workers. He's speaking through your wife or your husband. He speaks to me through my wife all the time. She has no idea. I tell her sometimes, but I don't think she believes me. Uh, he speaks to us in many ways. He's constantly speaking. Are we listening? Are we listening? Are we believing this incredible stuff that he, that he says is true? Uh, Take care how you listen. Take care how you listen. It's vital for each of us 
by God's grace as we listen to Him to identify our own stages of development and come to grips with our own process and submit to the dealings of God. And stop whining and stop complaining and stop moaning about other people who aren't your problem anyway. And uh, stop wailing about yourself too. Oh, I'm so sinful. God says, get over that. He knows that. And when He points out something He wants you to repent of, you repent. You say, yes, Lord. But if you want to weep and wail about something, what about for the downtrodden and the oppressed of the earth? What about for the widow and the orphan? What about for the refugees who are streaming out of their countries by the tens of thousands, by the hundreds of thousands? What about for the alien, for the diseased and the starving children and those held in bondage by drugs and other addictions? Where is the weeping and wailing for those people? Where is the prayer and fasting? That's what I've been asking myself. The Lord showed me recently, Son, you're sloppy in prayer. You used to fast, but you don't fast anymore. What happened? Uh... You're eaten up with selfishness. Your stewardship with your time and your talents and your gifts and your money is slack. Sometimes you obey me well, but other times you're a little bit slow in obeying Are you ever aware of God telling you to do something and and, and you just... I know sometimes I just... I I think, no, I didn't didn't hear that. I don't want to deal with that right now. And I just choose not to do it. Another thing the Lord showed me was concerning my relationship with my wife. You're not treating your wife with the kindness and gentleness that I want you to. And so by that time I was going, okay, Lord, that's enough for now. Uh... I repent. I'm sorry. Fill me, Lord. You know, and he wasn't saying those things to condemn me or to make me feel guilty. I used to think that. I used to just wallow in guilt and self-pity every time God pointed something out. But not anymore. Now I realize he's wanting to take me to the next level. He's wanting to stretch my faith. He's wanting to build me up. He's wanting me to be all that I can be for Him by His grace. He's constantly testing us, constantly wanting to take us to the next level. He's coming to kill our flesh and He's not apologizing. So, you know, I'm getting to the point in my life where I'm thinking, I'm starting to think in terms of finishing well. I'm, I'm 54, which I know that's not old unless you're 21 and then it is old. But it's not that old. People keep telling me, you're not old. But sometimes I, I can see the end. The end is closer than the beginning. So to me, that's getting pretty old. And I'm starting to think in terms of finishing well. I want to hear those words, well done, servant. Well done, slave. Enter into the joy of your Lord.
if, 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 if I can't hear those words, then all is lost. All is, I don't want to just get in the door. I want to have jewels and gold to present to my master. Uh, that's what I live for. But I'm, I fall so short so much of the time. I haven't spoken very much directly about the work that we're involved in, and I know that that's probably what a lot of you were expecting, so I hope I didn't purposely deceive or mislead anybody about that. According to my watch, I still have just a few minutes, so I might say a few things about that, but uh, uh, we're going to be having dinner over at Ann and Don's house after church, so if you want to know more, just come on over for dinner. Everybody's welcome. I'm sure we'll have plenty of food. Uh, I do want to mention that my wife brought with her this big bag of weavings that was done by a lady who lives with us who's from Afghanistan. And especially if some of you women would like to see those after the service, uh, don't rush off. Go over and see some of her handiwork. We're trying to help her start a cottage industry to help support herself. But... We're honored to have this widow live with us. Let me just briefly tell you her story, and then we'll close. And this is just an example of the kinds of things that the Lord has broken our hearts with, and I hope will break your hearts with as you cast your eyes out to the nations. Uh, Manager was really quite a well-to-do lady. Her, father, her husband was in the Air Force. He was a communist, and he served uh, in the military under, uh, when the communists were ruling Afghanistan back in the uh, 80s, the late 70s through the late 80s. And uh, when the coup happened and the communists left in disgrace, he was shot down, he was killed. And uh, then later, her two oldest sons mysteriously disappeared so she lost her husband and her two oldest children uh, to the uh, Mujahideen and, and, and to the warring factions there in Afghanistan she had one daughter and one son remaining and her son uh, was about nine years old at the time and she decided it's time to leave we can't stay in this country anymore. The country had been racked by civil war and all kinds of problems for years and years, and many, many of the people there had known nothing but war. And uh, they left. They spent a year, a year, in a squalid refugee camp in Pakistan. Then they managed to make their way by bus across the huge country of Iran. Look at a map. It's a big country and a lot of just desert uh, Afghans aren't really well liked in Iran, but they managed okay. They stayed there for about three years. Her son, who was uh, 10, 11, 12, that age, 13, during those years, uh, worked in a sewing factory, you know, learned to speak Iranian Farsi. He already spoke Dari, of course. And uh, finally they made their way into Turkey. Rashid, her son, who is now our son, who lives with us, walked over the mountains of eastern Turkey in the wintertime in snow up to his thighs, uh, barely making it alive, picking up one of his uh, 
cohorts who was with him and carrying him at a point when the guy said, I can't go any further, just leave me. And the smuggler who was with him said, just leave him, just leave him. And Rashid said, I couldn't just leave him. So he picked him up and carried him, saved his life. And later that guy came to him in Athens and they, they now see each other there and they and thank you, thank you, you saved my life. And anyway, they made, they made their way finally to Greece. They, they lived in a refugee camp uh, for a while and they were visited by some people from Athens who took them the gospel and told them about Jesus and gave them a Farsi Bible and began to invite them to come to Athens to the Persian Fellowship on Sunday nights, and they did. They would ride in a bus for five hours early Sunday morning, and then they would stay all day, go to the Persian Fellowship that night, and then get on a bus and ride for five hours back. They did that for a couple of weeks, and they thought, this is for the birds, let's just move to Athens. So they were offered, they were offered a place to stay in a place there that they called the Nest, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and uh, have their son, the son, Rashid, has really grown. He's a dynamic young man. Manija has uh, had a slower growth curve, but she's, she's plugging along. She still has some difficulty in making the cultural shift. In fact, her son and I were talking the other day, and he said, I get so frustrated because sometimes mom says, like, about Sam and Fran, they're, they're good Muslims. You know, or other people that she knows are Christians. Anybody who's holy and really loves God and so forth, they're good Muslims. You know, that to her, that, that's just the ultimate compliment. You can pay somebody, even though she's a Christian now. It's just hard to make that shift. But anyway, this is uh, such a difficult road they've had, such a painful road they've had. Uh, just, and this is just one story out of thousands, thousands but right now it's my privilege to be mentoring her son, to be helping him with his schoolwork, to be giving them a place to live, the joy of my wife sharing the kitchen with another woman, uh, all this Afghan smells and cooking that comes out of our kitchen is incredible. Uh, that's just one little microcosm of our lives there. And if you'd like to know more, uh, seriously, if you'd like to get on our mailing list, our email list, if Don's not already forwarding our emails to you, see Brother Don, my man Don. He'll, he'll give you our email address or he'll put you on his forward list. And we'd love for you to join with us in the battle by praying. One passage of Scripture that I had hoped to share with you this morning was the parable of the widow before the judge in Luke uh, 18. And she just beats his door down. And finally he gets so sick and tired of her bothering him and thinking that she's going to hurt my reputation. What are these people going to think? He, he gives her what she wants. And Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Uh, and then he says, is not God going to bring justice speedily? Hopefully not speedily in the same sense of I'm about to do something in Genesis 6. Maybe though. Uh, speedily will I not bring justice to my elect who cry out to me day and night? Are we crying out to Him day and night? Are we crying out to Him at all? Or is the Lord convicting you like He convicted me of a sloppiness and slothfulness in your prayer life? Where's the weeping and wailing and travailing for the nations among the, uh, among the uh, rich privileged, comfortable American church. So we're glad for you to join us in, uh, especially in the prayer partnership because we need it. We need it very much. 
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, your word and this time we had of sharing this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would just take uh, what's been said and apply it to hearts as you see fit and throw out the rest, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the world. Thank you for the privilege we have of being a tiny part of it. Lord, we just want to be faithful servants of yours. You have blessed us and given us the privilege of the ministry of reconciliation. And Father, may we not shirk that responsibility, but may we, by your grace, as we are rooted and grounded in your love, may we labor and strive with all our strength, with all our might, uh, as you enable us to, uh, to show your glory among the nations. We ask this for the sake of Jesus. Amen.